Hello everyone, it's me, Ray, and I am back with Grappling with Ray. Alright ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is back by incessant demand from yours truly. First time that we did this segment, it did not draw double digit numbers, but I'm going to fix that because we're going to be staying on the hot topics. Uh, by the time you hear this, the Royal Rumble will have happened two days prior. I'm recording this the day after the Royal Rumble, so I'm going to be talking about the builds to the matches. I'm going to be talking about the matches themselves, I'm going to be talking about some highlights, and I'm going to try and project the future of the main competitors in these contests. So, first we uh, got to check out the pre-show, and it was a women's tag team title match. I'm going to say it right now. I did not expect this contest to be on the pre-show. I expected the pre-show to have a match that hadn't even been announced prior to the show. However, uh, definitely after seeing that both Rumble matches lasted almost an hour each, I can fully understand why they had to make a sacrifice here and there. Uh, so, this contest, we got to see the Raw Women's Champion, Asuka, and Charlotte Flair, they, together they are the current women's tag team champions, and they defended against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the former champions. There's a little bit of flack going on for this contest, mostly because it's two teams that are basically made up of singles competitors. I will argue Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, they were a dominant team after they won the titles. They were still a dominant team even after they lost the titles. So I do, I would, I would respect the claim that Jax and Baszler are a tag team. In, the, in a true sense. Sure, they start out the careers as singles competitors, but I feel like at this point, they are an established tag team. Oscar Charlotte Flair, the writing's on the wall, and you could see it in the build of this match. While Nia and Shayna were dominating, like mostly against Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, another tag team that's sort of building a foundation, Charlotte was very much distracted by her feud, her singles feud with Lacey Evans. Lacey Evans now being managed by Charlotte's father, Ric Flair. Lacey's learning a lot from Flair. She's learning how to become the dirtiest player in the game. And we saw that in this contest as well as Lacey Evans would make an appearance. I will say that another big issue that I wanted to point out is we've definitely been seeing some small teases, not so subtle teases, but they've been small nonetheless uh, from Charlotte that she definitely wants a shot at Asuka's Raw Women's title. Charlotte did declare herself for the Royal Rumble later in the night, as well as Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. So we're going to see a few of the, we're going to see three out of four of these women compete in the Royal Rumble later tonight. We're going to cover that. Uh, however, now for the match itself, it was a good back and forth. Something that I noticed was, uh, so in tag team matches, there's a, a typical structure. Usually one of the competitors of a team is known as the heater. They build up heat. They get the shit beat out of them. And then they tag in their partner. They get the, the partner who gets the hot tag. The crowd goes wild because that partner's been protected throughout the mo majority of this match. They're fresh. They get to go in and kind of get some shine by beating up the other two competitors of the opposing team. Something I didn't, uh, like, I understand it. I just don't agree with what I'm about to, with what I'm about to relay to you. Asuka was the heater for her team. Charlotte was the hot tag. Asuka, Asuka's the Raw Women's Champion. Yes, I understand that Nia and Shayna are a dominant team, that they are two very strong competitors. And yes, sometimes your champion does have to have moments of vulnerability and weakness. However, why did it have to come at the expense of just 
the whole plan was to protect Charlotte. I could tell that from the beginning. The only reason Charlotte lost is because she was distracted. Not only because she was distracted, she was actually able to make a comeback despite the distractions, which only built up her character even stronger. However, Ric Flair gives Lacey Evans something. We don't see what it is. I'm assuming it's brass knuckles. And Lacey gives her finisher the women's right to Charlotte behind the referee's back. Nia Jax does a leg drop on the back of Charlotte's head. Mind you, Asuka's already been taken out. Asuka's been thrown over the announce table. So she she was a non-factor. A complete forgetful thought in this contest by the end of it. And Charlotte is pinned. And Nia and Shayna are the women's tag team champions again. Uh, This whole match took about 10 minutes. I will say... Oh, gosh. I'll say it again. Asuka was a forgotten figure in this match. She was forgotten in the build to this match. Other than the fact that she had two belts. I mean, look at how WWE's been recognizing double champs. It's been a big thing, especially... in in contrast, not in contrast, in comparison to the UFC after Conor McGregor became the first ever champ champ in UFC history. Now, in WWE, they've been celebrating champ champs like Becky Lynch, Bayley, Seth Rollins. They did not do that for Asuka. Asuka was not pushed to the moon like the others were. Maybe it could have been due to her lack of English, or at least the lack of English that is displayed on on television, Maybe it's because WWE, again, wants to protect Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair is the diamond piece of the of the Raw Women's Division. Charlotte Flair may not be the champion, but the writing's on the wall. She could be champion soon. We'll definitely touch on that later after we cover the Royal Rumble. As for Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, this isn't so much a projection as it is... Okay, it's not so much a prediction. It is a projection because I'm going to speak it. I want to speak it into the truth. I want to project it and make it so WWE possibly just says, hey, that's a great fucking idea. The winners of the Men's Dusty Cup. The winner of the Men's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. They get a shot at the NXT Tag Team titles usually. The women. What do the women get? Now, those women's tag team titles are supposed to be defended across all brands, including NXT. So I would love it if the winners of the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic Cup, which, should, which if I am correct, are going to be decided at the February 14th Valentine's Day NXT TakeOver Special. I want to see those winners challenge for the titles. Maybe at WrestleMania? I don't see any reason why not. And as far as who could win the Women's, ta- the women's Tag Team Classic... That's a tough one. Um, me personally, I would love to see Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez win. They're both huge stars in the making. However, to keep it as a heel versus face dynamic, I believe the time may be right for Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Win the first ever Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic and move on to challenge for the for the women's tag team titles. Maybe even win them, possibly. Ember Moon did have a small rivalry with Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler was mostly focused on Kyrie Sane. And, but uh, I believe that this could be the uh, the reconnection that they need. Nia Jax is a monster. Shotzi's got the tank. It, it, it could be magical. Shotzi's tank at WrestleMania? Think about it, people. It'll happen. It could happen. I want it to happen. Uh, next up is the WWE title match. And the build to this was unfortunately stalled because of Drew McIntyre testing positive for COVID-19. So... 
there was like a four-week build to this. The first week was Legends Night on Raw, where Drew McIntyre was being a good guy, and then Goldberg comes out, and Goldberg's like, you don't respect me, you don't respect the Legends, which to me seemed completely out of left field. Drew McIntyre, in my opinion, hadn't acted disrespectfully at all. And Goldberg's kind of like pressing him and he shoved him to the floor and he goes, you're next. And after that, unfortunately, Drew got tested positive. So for two weeks, Drew mostly just had to do pre-recorded video messages from his home. Goldberg definitely was better used in the vignette style where they could edit around it and protect him verbally. Goldberg's a great hype man. If you ask him to cut a, a monologue promo, though, it could dry up very fast. So I'm glad they mostly kept Goldberg to workout videos and edited vignettes. I will say The Miz and John Morrison definitely helped him whenever he had to make a live promo. That definitely helped. Uh, once again, Miz was uh, in the background threatening to cash in money in the bank. I will tell you that didn't happen this time. It was probably smart of him to do so because this match... Lasted all of five minutes. Actually, if you only count what happened after the bell, it was two and a half minutes. But I'm counting what happened before the bell because before the bell could even ring, uh, I guess Bill Goldberg said something to Drew. It pissed Drew off. Before the ref rang the bell, Drew headbutts Bill, froze Goldberg out of the ring. Like he he spears him at one point, but then Goldberg spears him through the barricade, froze Drew back in the ring. Ref's like, "Are you okay?" Drew's like, "Ring the damn bell!" And then the bell rings, and they just—it's a typical Goldberg match where they just trade finishers. There's hardly any wrestling, but it worked as an opening match. It got the crowd hyped up. It reminded me—well, uh, I mean, the crowd's not there, obviously, but but it reminded me of Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, where it was just spot versus spot versus spot and I don't mean spot monkeys like uh like like say Hardy Boys versus Edge and Christian where it's just one top rope move after the other no this is like there wasn't any build there wasn't headlocks there wasn't side locks there wasn't suplexes there was just it was just claymore kicks spears jackhammers that's all it was and that's all it needed to be so a lot of people may pan it I say you know what it it was done in five minutes. We got it out of the way. Let's move on. As far as the future, Goldberg is likely going to stay at home for this WrestleMania season. He was mostly, I'm pretty sure he was only brought in at first to try and build hype up WrestleMania 36 because of COVID, like and how that got rid of the whole the whole crowd situation. Drew McIntyre, just like I do with Asuka, and I'm going to do with the rest of the champions tonight, I'm going to revisit them after their respective divisions rumble match. Because it's kind of hard to tell when you're literally going to name a number one contender later in the night. Moving on, we got the SmackDown Women's Tile match between Sasha Banks defending against Carmella. Uh, this match happened previously at WWE TLC. Sasha Banks had won that match by submission. The crux of this of this continuing rivalry was actually not the women. It was Reginald. I wasn't sure how I felt about Reginald when he made his debut in the November, December area. But the crux of this was Reginald helped Carmella win that non-title match. Sasha Banks said, Hey, I'll give you a rematch. If you let me get in, in the ring with Reginald, Carmella's like, yeah, screw it. Fight him. 
Reginald displaying immensely talented athletic and acrobatic skills in the ring. He, Reginald is actually a signee to the WWE Performance Center. He's not just some random extra that they hired. He does work. He is a wrestler. He has this business in, in his experience level. So it was it was good to see him actually extend his role beyond just that of a manservant. That being said, uh, he did try doing some psychological warfare on Sasha like two days before the Rumble. Got to got to uh, show off his French. Didn't exactly go the way that he wanted it to. Uh, so we go to this pay-per-view, and it was a good match. It told the story of how Carmella, despite the fact that she is an immensely talented athlete, she was a bit too reliant on Reginald. Reginald got involved a couple of times. Uh, one of my favorite spots to see was that Carmella did have her submission finish on Sasha, and I believe it was the this was the first time I had seen someone actually reverse and get out of the submission. So, like, um, how do I audibly describe this submission for viewers that may not be familiar? Basically, if the opponent's laying face down, Carmella wraps her legs, one leg underneath the chin of the opponent, the other leg trapping their head into the into the crux of the knee, and then she pulls back and it and you got that you get that pressure on the neck and the arch of the back and she and the, but this only leaves her one hand to prop herself up with. Sasha was able to actually shoot her hand out, knock Carmella's hand off, and that was enough for her to shove, to take that momentum and shove the legs off of her head without causing any further damage. At one point, Carmella goes to knock Sasha off the ring apron later in the match. Reginald accidentally catches Sasha, and it looks like he might try to do a move on her, even though the ref is fully watching this happen. Sasha ends up hurricanroning him, and then the referee's like, Hey, Reggie, uh, you got involved again after I told you not to, so you know what? You are out of here! That is, that's one of my favorite ref spots to see in a match, and I can always tell the referees enjoy it, uh, so... Reginald got kicked, got banned from ringside for the remainder of the match. Carmella, Carmella had the match won. Like, she pinned Sasha, Sasha kicked out, and instead of staying on her, which she proved earlier in the match she was aware enough to do, she was so caught up in Reginald getting kicked out that she's, she's asking the ref, like, why'd you kick him out? Why did you kick him out? He did nothing wrong. So, that was definitely something that uh, affected her in the match. Sasha was able to turn it around. Sasha hit the ink statement put the submission on, and Carmella tapped out. Very much like what happened at WWE TLC. Sasha would even state in a later interview that it's deja vu. The same thing, exact thing happened as it did earlier. Which would definitely leave the future of her title reign and her possible next opponents in question. Uh, we're going to answer that very soon because the Rumble, the Women's Rumble is coming up. As for Carmella... Um, I will touch on Carmella later because something actually Carmella did actually appear. She did she also pulled double duty. She shows up in the women's rumble. So I'll touch on Carmella's future in a short minute. However, first, we have a live performance from Bad Bunny. Or as our truth thought he was, Bugs Bunny. Um uh, my opinion on this. So the uh, first I guess I better give some background. The only reason this happened was because Bad Bunny uh, released a single called Booker T. Booker T being a six-time world champion from WCW and WWE. He's a two-time Hall of Famer. And so Booker T, uh, and, and I gotta say, like, like Booker T had mad respect for Bad Bunny. Uh, this performance, 
it, I, in my opinion, this is going to be pure opinion here. I did not enjoy it. Uh, mostly, mo- and mostly because I get, I guess I just don't dig Bad Bunny's style of music. Uh, I do, I do like some hip hop here and there. This was definitely the hip hop Latin Caribbean vibe. I, I just wasn't feeling it. I, it was cool to see Booker T bust out his GI Bro outfit. That, that's a classic for some of our wrestling fans. Uh, however, it definitely suffered from a lack of a crowd. I feel like if this was done, if they, if like, if they could have a crowd, they're in Florida. There's a good Hispanic community in Florida. So I feel like if they could have had a live crowd for that, that there would be tons of people singing along and jamming to it. It would have been great. Also, I, 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 they showed clips of the music video for this song. Look it up. Bad Bunny, Booker T. And Booker T is in the music video, and Booker's busting out dance moves in the video. For this, for this, uh, for this live performance, Booker just stood still. So I don't know if that was like a direction he was given, or if he just wasn't. He just felt like, hey, it's gonna be better if I just stand here looking like a bad mother. And I don't know. I I, I felt like it came off as a bit awkward, in my opinion. So that while I'm always happy to see live performances and that cross gap between different forms of entertainment, uh, this was not a very good one in my opinion. Again, I didn't like the song or the artist myself. I wasn't a fan, but I was happy to see that that happen. I'm sure it was great for some people, but again, live audience would have been better. Booker T jamming with the song and feeling himself, that would have definitely made me feel more comfortable listening to it because Booker just, I don't want to say he felt uncomfortable because he did seem, he seemed chill. Again, bad motherfucker. Uh, But he was uh, like, I don't know. He looked more at ease in the music video than he did in the live performance. Moving on, we're already halfway done with this. This is going to be another short episode of Grappling with Ray, but we're moving on to the Women's Rumble. So many things happen in the Women's Rumble. Uh, for those that aren't aware, because I know I'm definitely uh, I've been speaking to a mainline wrestling audience right now, but for people that listen and don't necessarily know wrestling, the the history of the Royal Rumble it's a it's usually a 30 man or now more recently 30 women involved in the match uh you start with two people every 90 seconds or so someone else comes out uh you get eliminated by going over the top rope and both your feet touching the floor that's a very important rule uh the, usually the big stats you look out for in the rumble is you look out for your iron man or your iron woman the person who's in the match the longest you look out for the eliminator the person who's eliminated the most people in a match you look at the final four because the final four is usually a big indicator of what wwe has planned on the road to wrestlemania and of course the winner because the winner of the match gets a title shot of their choice at wrestlemania by that i mean in the case of the women they get to choose the Raw or SmackDown women's titles, or you could do what Charlotte Flair did last year and choose the NXT women's title. And then for the men, they can choose the WWE title, the Universal title, and potentially the NXT title. Or, I don't know, maybe they could go for after the NXT UK titles. That, that, that'd be dope. So with the women's rumble, there was uh there was a lot there was a lot of interesting stories being told. One story I noticed early on in the rumble that I definitely enjoyed was Billy Kay. Billy Kay entered at like number four, but she went to the announce desk with her resume and headshot. The story of Billy Kay is she was originally a part of a tag team known as the Iconics with Peyton Royce. 
Billy Kay uh, was forced to separate from Peyton. She ended up being drafted to SmackDown. And ever since then, Billy's been trying to find where she belongs. She's been giving everyone her resume, her headshot, trying to find a place. She's been constantly switching between good guy and bad guy teams. She is the ultimate tweener, and I love her because she tells that relatable story of, I just want to belong somewhere. Billy's doing an absolutely amazing job, and just seeing her, seeing her get fired get a missile fired at her from Shotzi Blackheart's tank, seeing her get the shit beat out of her by Shayna Baszler, and then finally teaming up with WWE legend Jillian Hall, one of the worst singers in WWE history. But don't but don't ask her that because she'll just tell you she's absolutely fucking amazing. Uh, Jillian and Billy did team up, and it was cool, but there was some ever little neat little story elements in there because... Then, the Riot Squad was in the match. Both members, Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan, were in the match at the same time. And Billy was telling Jillian, hey, let's help them. They're my friends. We're cool. Even though Ruby and Liv do not uh, want to be friends with Billy. And then, at one point, Peyton Royce comes out into the match. And it was such a sweet moment of see, like, they, it wasn't, it looked organic, too. It didn't look pre-planned. It looked pure, it looked perfectly organic because Billy's grabbing an opponent, and then Peyton grabs the opponent at the same time. They both grab them. They realize they both grab the person. They take a look at each other, and then, like, in perfect tag team symmetry, they are doing their all tag team moves on this opponent, and then they just both do the pose, and they are like, iconic, and then they just hug because it's been months since they've seen each other. It's best friends reuniting, something that that was a theme throughout both the men's and women's Rumble matches, and I just, it was, it was, it was heartwarming to see. Eventually, uh, the, uh, the Riot Squad would eliminate Billy Kay, and I could even just see Peyton Royce's face in the background, because originally, Billy actually got uh, an elimination herself. She eliminated Jillian Hall, and that was big. For, that was a big thing for her. This is a character who hasn't done much, so it was exciting for me to see her actually get a little bit of a moment in there before being eliminated by the Riot Squad, and just seeing Peyton selling that moment in the background. She didn't even know the camera was on her, but she was. She, you could, I could see her cheering Billy as Billy got the elimination, and then I could see her being disappointed when the Riot Squad eliminated her. So that was honestly, that was something that I was very happy to see throughout. They, of course, with the Rumble, you always get surprise entrants, people who have come back, or legends who are making a cameo appearance. Uh, the good surprises for the Women's Rumble were, let's see here if I got their order correct. Uh, Jillian Hall I already discussed. There was... Oh my gosh, I was so happy. Uh, Victoria came back. Victoria, I had such a crush on her. She was she wrestled for WWE towards the end of the Attitude Era into the Ruthless Aggression Era, so the late '90s into the early 2000s, and and even on into the into 2008, I believe was the last year she worked with them. She then worked with Total Nonstop Action Wrestling from 2009 to like 2012, 2013. And I, I loved her work immensely. Something else I didn't know until uh, recently. The the beginning of Victoria's theme song, there's a woman that goes, I ain't the lady to mess with. And I found out that that's actually Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj does Victoria's entrance theme. And I just, I felt it so hard. That matches up so well. I loved it. Then we had Crazy Like a Fox, Alicia Fox. Alicia Fox's return slash cameo was... um. It was a bit, uh, I thought it was going to be overshadowed because shortly after Alicia came out, R-Truth's music hit. 
R-Truth is running down to the ring. And R-Truth has a very comedic gimmick where he doesn't always realize where he is. So he came down and Alicia turns around and is just like, what are you doing? And Truth's like, I'm entering the Royal Rumble match. And Fox is like, wrong rumble. And, and Truth's like, oh, my bad, my bad. And as he turns to leave, uh, R-Truth is the 24-7 champion, a title that is defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, of course, there are, uh, there, are, there are some male competitors that are chasing him, and he gets in the ring. Alicia Fox is helping him fight off all the competitors. I was very worried that this was going to overshadow the Women's Rumble. I didn't think it was needed, but it did give Foxy a moment to shine because she rolls up Truth and a referee is in the ring, goes one, two, three, and in the middle of the Rumble match, you hear your winner and new 24-7 champion, Alicia Fox. Uh, two, about two and a half minutes later, Alicia Fox would be thrown out of the rumble, and then as she laid on the ground, R-Truth covered her. One, two, three, R-Truth is the champion again for like the 58th time or something like that. And I don't know, it just gave Foxy a, a moment to shine and added her list to the name of 24-7 champions, so that was exciting. I was happy to see that they used Truth in a way that wasn't... In my opinion, it didn't diminish the Women's Rumble at all. It didn't diminish any of the attention that was paid to the Women's Rumble. So I was happy to see that. Uh, moving on, uh, and there was a lot of other stories going on. Uh, late in the match, we saw we did see Carmella come out. Carmella would almost be eliminated. She would be caught by Reginald, put back in the ring. And then Carmella, but eventually... Uh, actually, no, she wasn't put back in the ring. She got caught by Reginald. Tamina Snuka came out. And Tamina, like, super kicks Reginald, who drops Carmella, and Carmella was then eliminated. So, that's where I think Carmella may go. She may have a small a small feud with Tamina to kind of keep them both on TV, or they might just be forgotten. I hope that's not the case, but it seemed like Tamina Snuka might be getting built up as a good guy, so that might, that might be something worth looking into. Then we see uh, Lana made her comeback at the pay-per-view after being gone for two months. She had been put through tables for like two months in a row by Nia Jax. So when Nia Jax did eventually come out there, Lana tried getting payback. And I love this. Lana rolls out from under the ropes. So she she left the ring, but she was still in the match. Nia did the same thing. Lana runs around the ring. Nia chases after her. Lana gets in the ring. Nia's still chasing after her. Gets in the ring. Lana runs to the other side of the ring. Nia right behind her. Lana pulls the bottom rope. Sorry, Lana pulls the top rope down. Nia trips over the top rope and lands outside the ring, which means Lana single-handedly eliminated Nia Jax. And that was that was the greatest revenge story I could have ever seen. Shayna Baszler and Nia's partner would also be eliminated. Shayna entered the match at number six, I believe. She would she would go on to eliminate six competitors herself. She would almost I, I thought she was the eliminator of the match. That role actually went to Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley had eliminated seven women in the match, not enough to tie the record for most women women eliminated in a single contest. That record is a tie between Shayna and Bianca Belair, who both eliminated eight women last year. Uh, one of my favorite eliminations by Rhea Ripley, though, was she, uh, so there's a character called Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss is in cahoots with The Fiend. 
So she's gained the Fiends' powers of being able to transform. And it's it's at least to some of the best cinematic matches on Monday Night Raw right now. I love what they're doing with the character. In the middle of the Rumble, everyone just beat the shit out of Alexa Bliss, who entered as her little funhouse, her Alexa's playground gimmick. And then the, the lights began the phase of going out. Like, there's three phases of the lights going out. Phase one happened. Everyone stood still. Phase two is happening, and Alexa's getting that evil smile, and she's holding on to the ropes. And before phase three, the whole lights could go out, Ray Ripley just runs up and tosses Alexa out. And then everything went back to normal. And I just remember being like, okay, so that right there, that moment reminded me, this is going to get a little off track, that moment reminded me of, like, Dragon Ball Z, where Goku is transforming into, like, Super Saiyan 3, but it takes a whole episode for him to do it. And you're just wondering... Why isn't the villain just kill him right now? It takes them so long to transform into their next phase that you could just kill them right then and there. Alexa Bliss was taking her time transforming into like Monster Bliss or Fiendish Bliss, whatever we're going to call it. And Rhea Ripley was like, well, I don't know why all of y'all are just standing around gawking at her when we could just boop and she's gone. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, Let's see here. So... In this contest, I've cut uh like the final four was Bianca Belair, Ray Ripley, Charlotte Flair, and Natalia. Charlotte Flair did have her rivalry with Lacey Evans brought in brought to the forefront. She did end up. I don't think Charlotte eliminated Lacey. I think Lacey may have been eliminated by Nia. But there was definitely that big brawl between Charlotte and Lacey. They had to get that in there. That feud is, I believe, still going to continue. Uh, Natalia entered at number 30. Natalia was in the final four. All four of these women had been laid out by Nia and Shayna previously, but they got up. So to be clear, Bianca Belair was the iron woman of this match. She entered at number three after the number one entrant Bailey and the number two entrant Naomi, both women who were in contention for the iron woman spot. Naomi, especially with that big save that she had in the match, but Bianca Belair ended up lasting over 50 minutes in this match. Uh, she also had a big save early in the match as, uh, well, actually she wasn't the one that was saved. She almost got eliminated. Naomi got thrown out. Her feet didn't touch the floor. Bianca almost got thrown out. Bianca has that long ponytail, the one that like goes down past, past her, but her buttocks. And so when she felt, when she almost got thrown out, her hair whipped out to the floor. So Naomi grabbed Bianca's hair and used it to pull herself back up. And they actually almost got into a fight on the ring apron. But then they were like, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, sister. Let's let's just work together here. One, two, and then they used each other to get back in the ring. So that little bit of teamwork in there definitely showed. And I liked that. The two iron women kind of helping each other out. Uh, so let's see here, and as for how the match ended, this was epic, because first Natalia got thrown out, then Charlotte Flair actually got eliminated by the combined efforts of Rhea and Bianca. Rhea and Bianca had such a good build to the ending, I could have seen both of these women ending the contest with a victory. And in the end, Bianca Belair was able to throw out Rhea Ripley, and she gave such a heartfelt, tearful promo at the end. And it was very fitting that she was crying at the end because the only other person to ever win the Royal Rumble from the number three spot was Ric Flair. And the promo Ric Flair gave at the end of that match with a tear in my eye to a nicer guy, it could have happened. So that was uh, that was very fitting in my opinion. 
as for what the future holds for the women's division, Charlotte Flair is going to have a feud with Lacey Evans, that's no doubt, but the Raw women's title is going to be Asuka versus Charlotte at WrestleMania. That's my projection because they they were going to do that at WrestleMania 35. They elected to include Charlotte versus Ronda and Becky, uh, but it, the first match was at WrestleMania 34 and it ended Asuka's winning streak. That match needs to be redone. That match, it's a perfect story of Asuka. Everyone would doubt her. Asuka has never defeated Charlotte Flair one-on-one. That's the match to make. And as far as matches that need to be made, I feel this in my heart and soul. WrestleMania is two nights once again. So you know what? At least one of those nights, you need the main event. No, the people deserve this main event. It needs to be Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown Women's title against Bianca Belair. It needs to be that big moment. We've had Kofi Kingston win the WWE Championship. He was such a great inspiration to people of color. Let Sasha and Bianca, two strong, proud women of color, headline a WrestleMania night. Let them be the main event and let them be an inspiration for the young women of color to have someone to look up to. Bianca has mentioned it in her Chronicle documentary. Sasha has mentioned it multiple times. Sasha was the first woman of color to compete in the in the Middle East. That was a big deal. That's something that this could be history making. And I want I, I'm putting it out there. I am putting it into the universe. I want the universe to make it happen. If anyone listens to this, feel free to tweet it out because that's what I'm going to do when I'm done recording. What WrestleMania needs is two strong black women in the main event. Make it happen. All right. Uh, due to the uh, short length of this podcast, we're actually not going to have a sponsor today. So I'm just going to continue with the two matches we have left. We uh, we got the sixth match, which was a last man standing match between for the Universal Championship between Roman Reigns, the defending champion, and Kevin Owens. I'm going to say, I love Roman Reigns' story as head of the table. I love it because even though he is one of the most dominating men in the entire WWE right now, he still acts like he has something to prove. He constantly says stuff like, I can't lose this. I can't quit. I can't go home if I quit. I got people to feed. I got a family to feed. He always has something to prove. So there's always stakes for Roman Reigns. It's not enough to be on top for him. He always reminds the people that he needs to stay on top. As for Kevin Owens, this is the third title match that Kevin Owens is going to receive. He lost the tables, ladders, and chairs match because Jey Uso constantly interfered. He lost the steel cage match because Jey Uso actually handcuffed him to the cage, keeping him from escaping. And this match also got a little personal because Roman would throw Kevin off of the Thunderdome into a table. And for a while, we actually thought Adam Pearce was going to get this match against Roman. I'm disappointed that I didn't get to see Adam Pearce wrestle. I've heard great things about Adam Pearce as the NWA World's Champion, so I was looking forward to seeing that happen. But that's not the direction they went, and I'm kind of happy they didn't go that way in the long run because it was this was such a great match until the ending. The highlight of this match would have been the brawling into the back area where Kevin got to do a swanton bomb through a table off of a forklift. That was an amazing thing. But there was an ending to the match. They brought the handcuffs in. They were to the side of a Thunderdome's uh, stage. And Kevin had handcuffed Roman to so low on a thing that it was implied to a structure that it was implied Roman couldn't stand up. 
Roman would knock out the referee as the referee was about to count him out. For those that don't know, to win a last man standing match, you have to beat the referee's count of 10 or else you're going to be considered knocked out. And so Roman knocked out that ref. Paul Heyman comes out with a key to, and the refer, and a re, another referee comes out and the referee's counting. The referee got to seven and then he noticed that uh, Paul Heyman was actually having legitimate trouble unlocking Roman Reigns' handcuffs. And then I just heard the count stop. And I was like, um, what are you doing, ref? What are you doing? And then Roman actually reveals that he could have stood up the entire time that he was handcuffed. To, so, But it was already after the count had been stopped for a long period. So I was like, okay, uh, this entire ending just got botched. And as soon as Roman was handcuffed, they immediately went home. Roman put the guillotine on Kevin, knocked him out, referee counted to 10. It was over. Uh, as far as uh, I will, uh, also something to point out. You heard me mention how Jey Uso interfered in the last two matches. Where the hell was Jey Uso in this match? We got to see Paul Heyman with the key, but we didn't see Jey Uso anywhere. So I'm actually curious as to what happened to Jey Uso. We, uh, spoiler alert, we don't see him in the Rumble either. So Jey Uso was just gone this entire night. I'm curious to see if maybe they uh, are just going to explain it as maybe he tested positive and we just didn't hear about it because he's not that big of a wrestler where his presence would have been sorely missed. But regardless, uh, as far as the future, Kevin Owens, I'm uh, after a big move like that of like the Swanton off of a off of a forklift into a table. You gotta expect Kevin Owens to be. In the Elimination Chamber match. Which is coming next month. Well actually no this month by the time you hear it. February 21st. It's three weeks away. It's a big deal. So I expect him to be in that. And possibly pull off some major upset move. Roman Reigns. We're going to regard him. After this next match. The Men's Royal Rumble match. I'm going to say. With the Men's Rumble. I was a. I was a little disappointed. I feel like the Women's Rumble should have gone on last. I feel like the Women's Rumble should have gone on last this year. It had better stories in it. Uh, there, like The Iron Men in the Men's Rumble weren't actually very competitive, whereas Bianca Belair was competitive throughout the Women's Rumble. Uh, well, let me get to what I liked about the Men's Rumble. The reunion of the New Day. Biggie and Xavier Woods, they got to show up. Rocking gear, that was... Uh, in honor of Brody Lee, Luke Harper, John, rest in peace, man. You were an absolute inspiration, and we love you. The New Day proved that they were still strong together. They helped each other uh, eliminate their current rivals, Sami Zayn and Mustafa Ali, from the Royal Rumble. Xavier Woods would be eliminated by Ali. Biggie would avenge him. And that was about the extent of that storyline. Um, Miz and Morrison, before this match, they had actually tried, uh, getting Bad Bunny to side with them. Bad Bunny was like, nah, man, I'm good. So, Jomo was already in the match. When Miz came out for the entrance, he actually destroyed Bad Bunny's DJ set. So, Bad Bunny would come out while Miz and Morrison are in the Rumble. Referees are holding Bad Bunny back. And then, and then Damian Priest, by the way, Damian Priest, a mensch striker. I was so happy to see him in this contest showing off. Damian Priest would eliminate both Miz and Morrison, and then he would call Bad Bunny over. Bad Bunny would get on the top rope, hop off the top rope, take out Miz and Morrison. So basically, it was just another display of how Miz and Morrison are the celebrity ambassadors for WWE. You can always trust them with the celebrity guest. Um, there was a big pop from myself 
for the returns of Carlito Caribbean Cool. Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. And Christian, they all they all made appearances. Carlito, I was a little sad to not see him do, spit in the face of people who aren't cool. But on hindsight, being 2021, uh, Carlito spitting in someone's face during a pandemic probably wasn't the best idea. So you know what? A plus to you, WWE, for not doing that. Olmus. Olmus proves to be very effective in his role as a bodyguard. Uh, Olmus wasn't in this match. The man that he protects, AJ Styles, was in the match. And every time AJ was about to be eliminated, Olmos would catch him. And then Olmos would actually eliminate other people. He eliminated Big E. He eliminated Rey Mysterio. So that was, I think, Olmos definitely proved effective. Maybe could have given him a bit more time. But they also protected Olmos by making it so no one actually beat the shit out of him. Big E tried beating him up and he immediately got decked and tossed over the announce table. They teased Braun Strowman and Ole Miss a bit, but Braun ended up throwing AJ to the other side of the ring, completely redirecting him so that Ole Miss wasn't there in time to catch him. So I feel like they're building something with Ole Miss, and I like what they're doing with him. Uh, I did appreciate Daniel Bryan's story. Daniel Bryan's story is that he is retiring soon. He hasn't given a date, but he has said, hey, I don't have a lot of years left in the sport. I would love to say that I was able to win a Royal Rumble match. That was his entire story, and I thought he could have won. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Uh, Let's see here. And then we get to, uh, so the eliminator of this match was actually a tie between Biggie and Damian Priest. They each eliminated four people in this match. Nowhere near close enough to breaking the record for the men. The record for the men, the most eliminations in a single rumble, is a tie between Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar. They've each eliminated 13 people in a single rumble match. It was a bit more impressive when Lesnar did it, because when Braun did it, did it, it was a 50-man rumble, so there was a lot more people to eliminate in that match. Uh, Brock did it last year, and it was pure domination. The uh, final four of this match was Edge, Randy Orton, who both started the match, Seth Rollins, who came in at 29, and Braun Strowman, who came in at 30. Seth Rollins' return was very lackluster. So lackluster. I I was like, okay, he's back. That doesn't explain anything. I feel like like I feel like it was definitely supposed to be a bigger deal than it was. Uh, but he was in the ring for like a total of eight or nine minutes. I feel like more could have been done, especially if he had shown up earlier in the match. Uh Braun Strowman. Again, lack of time. He he was used as a threat to the Rumble because he's a giant that comes in at last. So there wasn't a lot of time to wear him down, but they still managed to beat him. Randy Orton, who came in at number two, actually got injured in the beginning of the match. Him, He and Edge had brawled to the outside of the ring. Edge attacked him with a steel chair and banged up his leg. They brought Orton to the back. Randy Orton, terrific seller. I was on the precipice of genuinely buying and marking out that Randy Orton was legitimately hurt and they were going to have to rework the entire ending of the match. But the fact that they were making sure to say Orton technically was never eliminated was what kind of clued me in. Edge was technically the Iron Man. Him and Orton entered at the same time, but Orton wasn't in the match for for the majority of it. I I wouldn't even want to call Edge an Iron Man. Maybe I was just spoiled by Bianca Belair's competitive performance, but Edge was not that active. He was very much hugging the ropes and hugging the corner throughout the majority of this match. He w- he didn't have that many spots throughout the match. 
Uh, but I did love the twist ending. Normally, when you see a guy pull some bullshit like, oh no, I'm out of the match. Psych, I'm here now that the match is over. And so Edge threw out, Edge threw out uh, Seth Rollins. People are like, yeah. And then Randy Orton comes in. Randy Orton grabs Edge. He goes to throw him out. And typically that's what happens. But instead, Edge sidesteps, throws Orton out. And Edge wins the Royal Rumble for the second time in his career. And he does it from the number one spot. Mind you, there have only been two men in history who have ever won the Royal Rumble from the number one spot. Those men being Shawn Michaels and... Can I say his name? We're, we're not sponsored by, by anyone, so I can say his name, right? Yeah, I can say his name. His name is Chris Benoit. Not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Just just watch Dark Side of the Ring. You'll, you'll, if you don't know, you'll understand. So again, uh, very fun twist ending there. Uh, as far as the future goes, I, w- I would say there are three possibilities for who Edge can face. There's the obvious choices. The WWE Champion, Drew McIntyre. The Universal Champion, Roman Reigns. And Randy Orton himself, if Orton wins either of those titles. Orton is a 50-50, I would say. Because it's they're kind of it's kind of a toss-up, in my opinion. Because Orton is still in the midst of a rivalry with The Fiend. But he's also still in the midst of a rivalry with Edge. So I'm curious to see where they go with that. Uh, I feel like WWE could... I mean, right now, The Fiend is ran off television. If they keep him off television all the way through to WrestleMania, which I wouldn't recommend because The Fiend's a moneymaker. But if they did that, then Randy Orton could focus on a rivalry with Edge. He could win an Elimination Chamber match uh, and regain the WWE title from Drew McIntyre. But uh, I, don't, I don't feel like that's the, I don't feel like that's the direction we're going to go. I think they're going to keep the titles on Drew and Roman and... How, how do I feel about this? I think Edge will decide to challenge Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. I feel like he'll do that because it's... Uh, how do I put this? They slow. They sort of started the story of Drew being disrespectful to Legends, but not really. Uh, but that was the way they were going with Goldberg. So maybe they could slide that in there as Edge's reason for facing Drew. Or they could just say it's a dream match, even though it's a match that no one ever dreamed of. And as for Roman, I feel like the logical way to go with Roman Reigns would be to have Daniel Bryan challenge him for the world for the Universal Title at WrestleMania. I feel like that's the way to go. Uh, again, the Women's Rumble was definitely way more better than the Men's Rumble. The Women's Rumble should have gone on last. Uh, I don't know why they're doing the Men's Rumble last every year. If they did the Women's Rumble last the first year it debuted, which was smart, they should definitely alternate it. Or at least, I don't know, maybe they, they thought Edge winning the Rumble would get a bigger pop than Bianca winning. But no, uh, in my opinion, Bianca winning was way more important than Edge winning. Edge winning, great. We definitely respect the legends that helped make this business. They, they've earned their due. Bianca is the future of this business. She is the EST of WWE. I feel like she deserved that main event spot. And I feel like her and Sasha, again, cannot project this enough. Tweet it after you hear this. Sasha versus Bianca. Two strong black women. Main event of WrestleMania. Make it happen at WWE, at Sasha Banks, at Bianca Belair. Make it happen. All right, so by the time you hear this, Monday Night Raw will have already aired, so uh, maybe my predictions will come true. Maybe they won't. 
But uh, feel free to talk about this. Maybe I have shitty opinions on the Rumble, but I know that's not true. And yeah, uh, we don't have sponsors. I'm terrible at ending things. So I am just going to say goodbye. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see you again on Grappling with Ray.